0: They're doing that, as you know, but I'm going to preach the wrap-up message uh, to our Vintage Church Ethos series. Next week, we're going to launch Vintage Church Pioneers, um, but today I'm going to bring the kind of the final um, message in this ethos, or really what we're searching for is what is the culture of the Vintage Church, okay? And I believe one of the parts of that culture is um, I love being in a church where we're not in a hurry to end or get through worship. We, we had an awesome worship experience last night at Conduit North, and then again this morning. I'm so grateful to the worship crew for um, giving me the morning off from that so I could focus on this. It's a lot to try to do both, as I found out uh, back in September when I did both. So um, that, was, that was awesome, and I really appreciate them. Um, but like I said, my name is Quint. I'm from right here in the Jamestown area, have never left, um, and so... I have a beautiful wife, Erin. We have three kids, Anderson, Preston, and Charlotte. Uh, Preston and Charlotte were supposed to be 10 months apart. They are eight months apart. I'll let you do the math on all that. Um, But Preston is extremely unimpressed with his new sister. Um, Being dethroned as the baby so quickly, not cool. And I'm a middle kid, and my wife's a middle kid, and we always vowed we would take care of our middle kid. And so we're trying our best, but he is one ticked off little kid. So, um, so pray for Preston. That's the moral of that story. Um, but anyways, I, uh, I actually have a background in business and sales and um, just stuff like that. Very black and white practical kind of guy. But it was actually one year ago this Thursday that I quit my job in sales and stepped into full-time ministry. Um, so it's been a wild, wild ride. Uh, three years ago, I wasn't even attending this church. And so it's just been a crazy crazy couple years. We're not going to get into all of that, but we will hopefully unpack some of what that looks like. Let me just move this. Um, all right, so let me start by doing this. I want to tell you a story, um, and then we'll, we'll look at what the, the ethos of the vintage church was, and hopefully what our role, what your role is in the ethos of this church, how it applies to your life. The year was 2001. I was uh, 15 years old. I had just learned and actually taught myself how to play the guitar. I started playing piano when I was five. Um, by the time I was like 13, I picked up a guitar, never looked back, I love the guitar, it's, it's kind of my main instrument now. So I was about 15 years old, uh, 2001, um, I didn't know I could sing yet and I was 15 and there's no way I was going to experiment with that in front of people. So I just said, nah, I can't sing but I can play the guitar. And so anyways, a bunch, of, uh, a bunch of students from the school I went to, I went to a local Christian school. We went on a missions trip to New York City. And they told me I could go and I could play my guitar and so I said, sure, I'll go. That's honestly the reason I went. It wasn't to reach people, it wasn't for missions, it was because New York City and I could play the guitar which I just found out I love to do. Um, So I had this basic skill. I said, sure, I'll do it. Um, But we go on this missions trip. When we left, we were a bunch of, I'll just be blunt, we were a bunch of sheltered, privileged Christian kids, all right, from the other side of the state. We got there. We realized we might as well have been from a different planet. If you've ever been to New York City, you know what I'm talking about. I love New York City, but it is a different way of life for sure. Um, And honestly, when we came back, we were different. While we were there, we had the chance to minister in public parks. We had the chance to, to minister at a bilingual church. Um, we did a youth rally, like the first night we were there. I remember playing the guitar awful, like just terrible, but it was fun. And there was hundreds of kids there. It was really random. And, and then um, we had the chance to, to worship on the Staten Island Ferry. I, I played my guitar, and there was like 40 People around me and we walked through the terminal and then we got on the ferry and we went across the Staten Island and came back and we just sang the whole time. It was really cool and I'm sure we got a ton of looks. But it's New York, so probably not as many looks as if it was somewhere else, right? Um, and then I, what happened was one of the last nights there, we all started to let our guard down and um, we had this really cool night and we were like apologizing for things we had done to each other back home, for what jerks we had been. Um, me, chief among them, I was a real punk uh, in high school, and so we had this, this night where um, it was just, it was really worshipful, and we were just really open and vulnerable with each other, and um, it was cool, and, and when we came back, we were different. But when we came back, we were met with upperclassmen in our school who kind of gave us this like eye roll, this condescending like, yeah, 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 this is gonna wear off vibe, right? And, and they had been on similar trips in previous years, so they were kind of like speaking from experience, but we were like, no, this is different. This is, this is real, all right? That might be the case for how it went for you. It's not how it's gonna be for me. Um, the problem is, it was just a couple years. They were totally right. It did wear off, and I was living a completely different direction uh, within a couple years of that trip. Um, and I'm not the only one. Many, many of us were doing things that we, we thought life was going to be different from this experience that we had. And we found out life wasn't different just from an experience. Um, so what happened? What was the difference? I, I did not know at the time. I couldn't have, have explained it. Um, but now that I'm 15 years removed, I think I can look back and say, or I guess 16 years removed, I can, I can look back and I can tell you what was missing. What was missing was an understanding of what it takes to have a healthy ethos, a healthy culture among us, right? We thought all that it would take was an experience, that the emotions would drive true heart change. The emotions of that trip and the service that we held when we got back and we shared it with everybody and we explained what had happened, we thought that would be enough. What we found out was that true heart change comes from some one it doesn't come from an experience it doesn't come from emotions emotions are great and emotions might get the ball rolling in the right direction and I love worship and we have powerful worship services and worship nights and they 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 serve a purpose and they give us they breathe life into us but they aren't the only thing okay Um, so I don't mean any of this to throw the school I went to under the bus they probably tried to teach us what it takes to have a healthy ethos, and we were all so hormonal and naive, we didn't listen, all right? So I'm not saying it as a slight to them, I'm just saying it didn't exist. We didn't have it, we did not have an understanding of that. Um, But I don't believe that those types of experiences are limited just to privileged, sheltered Christian school kids or college kids. I think that can happen right here in this church if we're not careful, and so I think that's what we're trying to unpack today. Honestly, the devil would love for that to happen right here in this church. I do not believe that he is excited about a ministry that is only four years old that is proclaiming Jesus and life over the city. I don't believe he's excited about us starting a second location, holding events where thousands of people show up and we just love our city. don't think that he's cool with all that, okay? And so I think that uh, he would love to derail that process, and so we need to be aware that we need to be leaning on our Father in heaven to prevent that from happening. So, this is what we're going to do. Turn with me to Acts 5, and we're going to look at the vintage church. Acts 5.12. All right, this book is full of ammunition on how to not have this happen among us. So we're going to look here. I'm reading from the Message translation, so if this is hard to follow along, I apologize. Uh, But I'm just going to read it because it's more in a common language, just kind of tells the story, um, very easily understood. So Matthew, or Acts 5, 12 through 16, it says, through the work of the apostles, many God signs were set up among the people. Many wonderful things were done. They all met regularly and in remarkable harmony on the temple porch named after Solomon. But even though the people admired them a lot, outsiders were wary about joining them. On the other hand, those who put their trust in the master were added right and left, men and women both. They even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on stretchers and bedrolls, hoping they would be touched by Peter's shadow when he walked by. They came from the villages surrounding Jerusalem, throngs of them, bringing the sick and the bedeviled, and they all were healed. Okay, so when the vintage church began, verse 12, it says there were many signs and wonders. It says many God signs were set up among the people. These signs left them speechless and interested, but some did still hesitate in joining. Pastor Corey spoke a couple weeks ago from Acts 4. I'll jump over there and read it. Acts 2, verse 41, he says, That day about 3,000 took him at his word, were baptized, and were signed up. They devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles, the life together, the common meal, and the prayers. And this is repetitive. What happens is something, they teach, and they get jailed, and they get released, and they get persecuted, and they go back and they teach, and they get jailed. and, And every time Peter says, Jesus Christ, who you nailed on and he gets in their face, right? And this is like this pattern that keeps happening. But um, my question, like I said, what is our role in this? My question is, where did these signs and wonders come from? Well, Jesus tells us where they come from. So turn over to John 15. If you've ever heard me teach, I don't stay in one place very long. Turn over to John 15, and we will see exactly where these signs and wonders that are talked about in the vintage church, where they came from. I will read this from a more normal. I don't, is there a more normal translation in the message? A more or less normal. Um, a less normal. You don't need more or less. Okay. John 15. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it might bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. See, these signs and wonders that were happening in the vintage church, this is why they were happening. Because all of the, the leaders and the people in the vintage church ha, were in a passionate, individual pursuit of their father. They were abiding in him. It wasn't hocus pocus. It says you, it, you can't uh, bear fruit in and of yourself. It wasn't something that they were doing. It wasn't emotion. It wasn't riding the wave of this exciting new thing called the vintage church and what had happened in uh, in Acts, when the, the speaking in tongues and they were baptized with fire, as we learned in the first week, it, it wasn't just riding this wave of momentum from that. They were passionately pursuing the Father. And I will show you that in, back in Acts 5. If you read in verse 21, they've been jailed for preaching the word. An angel of God opened the jailhouse door, led them out. He said, go to the t- and take your stand, tell the people everything there is to say about this life and verse 11 says promptly or I'm sorry, verse 21 says promptly obedient. They entered the temple at daybreak and went on with their teaching. Verse 29, if you'll skip down, they're being challenged and Peter and the apostles say it is necessary to obey God rather than man. They're abiding in him and they're going to do whatever God tells them to do regardless of what might come against them because of that. Okay, if you'll skip over to verse 42, the last verse of the chapter, it says, they had been given the honor of being dishonored on the account of the name. And every day they were in the temple and homes teaching and preaching Christ Jesus, not letting up. A minute. See, what we find here is people who are, who are passionately pursuing the Father. They are abiding in him. And in John 15, it says, verse 5, this is a promise. This is truth spoken from the mouth of Jesus Christ. It says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. It is a guarantee that when we abide in him, we will bear fruit. And it was a guarantee they were abiding in him and they were bearing much fruit. So, um, you know, we are not just studying the vintage church so we have an academic understanding of what they went through 2,000 years ago. We are trying to model conduit and conduit north and the ethos here after the vintage church. And so my point that I'm, that I'm driving home here is that that is what we need to be doing here. We need to all be in individual, passionate pursuits of the Father, Because when we do that, many signs and wonders will appear. But also, when people come through the doors, they will find a group of people who passionately pursue the Father. Okay. Um, I wrote this down. A healthy gospel community. That's what a church is. That's what the vintage church was. It was a healthy gospel community. A healthy gospel community requires grace, love, and strength. We can only possess supernatural levels of grace, love, and strength if we are abiding in the Father. That's the only way. You, I, I won't speak for you. I'll speak for me. I don't got enough grace, love, and strength for all the relationships that I come in contact with without help from Him. Okay? It just... And you probably can just shake your head and, and agree silently. Okay? Um, if you look over at, at Acts 6, verses 6 and 7, they've just... Chosen seven more men to help with the leadership in their church, and then it says in verse six, then they presented them to the apostles. Praying, the apostles laid hands and commissioned them for their task. And the word of God prospered. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased dramatically. Not least, a great many priests submitted themselves to the faith. Early in verse six, it says, you know, we need to choose men who are full of the Holy Spirit. We need to choose men who are passionately pursue. The Father, who are abiding in the Father for these leadership positions. And when they did that, the word of God prospered among them. Okay? So a growing, healthy, grace-filled gospel community is something that is supernatural. It cannot be fabricated by men, it cannot be invented, it cannot be made. You can't fake it till you make it with this stuff. Okay? Um Honestly, he is our source, and when we forget that, we will start to falter every time. We will lose our way, okay? Um, The early church was submitted to him. They abided in him. And they were also submitted to the leadership of the church. They committed and devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, right? As Corey spoke a couple weeks ago from Acts 2. Um, But we read in verse 7, it's because of that that the word of God prospered. See, this is what was missing from my experience back in high school that I started with. We didn't know this. We thought, like I said, we could ride the waves of emotion. We were immature. We were hormonal. We were naive. It's fine. It's no big deal. But that's what happened. We thought what felt good and felt right would be enough to fuel true heart change. What was missing for us, what was missing for those upperclassmen who rolled their eyes at us, was John 15, being lived out in their lives. You can't abide in your emotions. Emotions are, they're great, they serve a purpose, it's how we feel, Pixar's made movies about it, all that stuff is fine, but emotions are fickle. And if we we are driven by them, life gets messy really, really fast. Um, It's fine to let them start the ball in a direction, give us momentum. But long-term heart change comes from someone else. So, here at Conduit and at Conduit North, that is is our hope and our prayer over this body, over the people who aren't here today because there's fresh snow on the ground, over the people who were there last night at Conduit North. Our prayer is that each one of us would, would individually pursue the Father. 90 minutes on the weekend isn't enough, right? 90 minutes is great and there's definitely a purpose to this but Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday there's it it takes so much more uh, leaning on him I had a conversation with Pastor Ben recently and I have not been able to unhear like I don't know if he said it or I said it or how it all happened but it was so it's just like it stuck with me there are two words in the name gospel community one is gospel and the other is community right and community is great, and community serves a purpose, and community might get them in the door, might bring people in and they'll see that the guys wear jeans and they have tattoos, and it's, oh, yeah, and it's, that's awesome, that's great. Or they serve free chicken and give away hoodies in the parking lot. Great, that's all awesome. But the gospel is where true change comes from. The gospel is the main thing. You can get community anywhere. You can get community golfing, at the gym, in a bar, a million different places. But gospel community is where true heart change comes from. So may we be a church that absolutely is inviting and absolutely the community that welcomes people in, but ultimately, may we be a church that puts the gospel first. That is our prayer. That is what we are after. One of my favorite authors says it this way, we can't go to church because we are the church, all right? That is what we want to get our minds around here. We can't go, yes, we have an address, 120 Delaware Avenue, but we are a living, breathing organism out in our community affecting change on people, okay? And so that is our prayer. Um, And honestly, we have a job to do we have a role to play, and the John 15 tells us that the Father in heaven will empower us to do that job, to, to fi- fulfill that task, if we will just abide in him. The fruit is a guarantee. It's a guaranteed byproduct. I'm going to pause right now, and I'm just going to pray that over us, okay? So if you'll just bow your heads. Lord, I thank you for, for the vintage church and the model that you've shown us, and, and a, a leadership and people that were abiding in you. And because they were abiding in you, there was fruit. And Lord, I pray that over this church, over every person um, in this room, that we would recognize that that is part of our role. Um, it's not a, an obligation thing, Lord. It's something that we get to do. We get to abide in you. And you will empower us and give us strength from a place that we we don't naturally have. And so, may that be true of this place and of Conduit North and of any future locations that you call us to plant, Lord, that we would be a people that knows we can't just go to church, we are the church. And that we would be the church. And that when people come in, they would not just find healthy community, but they would find healthy gospel community. A group of people that puts the word first and puts changed lives first. Amen. Amen. Okay, so um, that is kind of like the setup, okay? That is, if you leave with nothing else, the word abide, abide in him, that is the takeaway. Um, that is your chief role, is to abide in him. But I am going to continue on, um, and I want to answer the question, what is your role in this Ethos. Now, I'm a very practical person. I used to work in sales, and and I have a business degree, like I said. And so it would be very easy for me, it would be very natural for me to get up here and talk about loving and serving and giving and conduit kids and tithing and all the things that take to to make a ministry go, I am loved events or or whatever. But I'm not going to do that Um, because... If your kids are in Conduit Kids, you know we need help in Conduit Kids, right? And um, if you've ever helped in an I Am Loved event, you know it takes all hands on deck to help in an I Am Loved event. So I'm not going to go down these practical ways that would be in my natural wheelhouse. I want, to, um, I want to keep it in the Word and see what God is trying to tell us this morning. Um, so, first and foremost, it is to abide in Him. But, second, I want you to turn over to Matthew 23, and we'll see what Jesus says to his disciples about what their role is in their gospel community. All right, again, I'm reading this from the message, but it says, Now Jesus turned to address his disciples along with the crowd that had gathered with them, And the religion scholars and Pharisees are competent teachers in God's law, he said. You won't go wrong in following their teachings on Moses, but be careful about following them. They talk a good line, but they don't live it. They don't take it into their hearts and live it out in their behavior. It's all spit and polish veneer. Instead of giving you God's law as food and drink by which you can banquet on God, they package it in bundles of rules, loading you down like pack animals, They seem to take pleasure in watching you stagger under those loads and wouldn't think of lifting a finger to help. Their lives are perpetual fashion shows, embroidered prayer shawls one day and flowery prayers the next. They love to sit at the head table at church dinners, basking in the most prominent positions, preening in the radiance of public flattery, receiving honorary degrees and getting called doctor and reverend. Don't let people do that to you. Put you on a pedestal like that. You all have a single teacher and you are all classmates. Don't set people up as experts over your life letting them tell you what to do. Save that authority for God. Let him tell you what to do. No one else should carry the title of father. You have only one father and he is in heaven and don't let people maneuver you into taking charge of them. There is only one life leader for you and them, Christ. And then verse 11 and 12 is where, that's where we hit pay dirt. Okay, He says, do you want to stand out? Then step down, be a servant. If you puff yourself up, you'll get the wind knocked out of you. But if you're content to simply be yourself, your life will count for plenty. Your translation might say, whoever humbles himself will be exalted, but whoever exalts himself will be humbled. I want to take two seconds to do a quick sidebar. Um, Jesus is saying this to people who are used to having religious leaders lord over them with the law. He says that they try to make it, they package it in a bundle of rules, they load you down like pack animals. And maybe, like I said, a quick sidebar, maybe that is your experience. I hope not. I'll just speak for me. That was my experience. Most of my life, I knew a church culture that leveraged, used the word as leverage, okay? And I want to tell you today, if that is your story, that God is telling us here in Matthew 23 to let it go. Okay? I will tell you, by God's grace, I don't hold that against any of my past experiences. I don't, uh, that's, just, that's just how it was, and that's fine. But what I've read and what God has set me free from is that it's my job to take the low seat. Verses 11 and 12, it says step down, be a servant, or it says humble yourself. He's saying don't worry about how they handle these words. Worry about your heart. Where's your heart in this thing? He's not giving an asterisk and saying you can turn it into a pet, your injury counts. It does count, and it's fine, and there's a role for it, but let it go so he can heal you and perfect you through it. Okay, So that was just, that's just like a, a side thing, um, not my main point, but, but huge, and I think happens so often. People, unfortunately, people do get hurt by the church, um, but that's not God's original plan. That was not what we see in the vintage church. And so he is saying here in Matthew 23, let it go. Don't, don't let people do that to you. They're going to. It's a guarantee. It's going to happen at times. But let it go and chase and pursue him first. You all have one teacher. You have one Father in heaven, one teacher, the Christ. Right? That's what he says in Matthew 23. All right. So that's free, no charge. That's just kind of like an extra thing. Um, but I want to answer the question, what is our role in this ethos? And so I like to break things down into one simple takeaway. Obviously, we hit the word abide pretty hard. But my main point for this message is that we need to live from a position of grace, not a position of gain, okay? And so I want to spend the rest of our time looking at what that means, looking at how we can do that so that we can walk out of this place today living in that position of grace. Naturally, we like to look and seek for position of gain. Um, You know, when we come in here and we're looking for what might benefit us or what we might get out of church, and that's fine. There's stuff to get out of church. I'm not saying that that's wrong. Or when we come in, though, and we're looking for the flavor of church that we like, that we agree with, honestly, what we're doing is we're putting the Holy Spirit in a box. And we're, we're trying to have a comfort zone, a comfort level. That's not what the vintage church was about. I'm sure there were things that happened in Acts 5 with the signs and wonders that were unexplainable, confusing, Maybe a source of, like sideways emoji face, um, all sorts of stuff like that. But our goal, our our role, is to live from a position of grace and let those things sort themselves out. Let God sort those things out in us. Okay. So when He's addressing His disciples in Matthew 23, He's saying uh, that we have, you are a group of people who are all submitted to one teacher, Jesus Christ Himself. You have one Father who is in heaven. And he's saying to step down and be servants. And then his wrap-up is, if you're you're content to simply be yourself, be who I made you to be, your life will count for plenty. See, when we chase higher seats, or when we pursue, pursue positions, or when we have a need to be recognized, we are on the path to being humbled. When the Bible says, humble yourself, Those two words, that is a warning. That is a warning that if you don't humble yourself, you're going to get humbled. All right? It's going to happen from an outside source. So you take the low seat, and you can avoid some of those painful experiences, those painful things. That is what it means to live from a position of grace, not gain. Humbling yourselves. Me and all my friends back in high school, we'll go back to that story. When we got home, you know, what felt different did start to wear off. Fairmount Avenue was still Fairmount Avenue. Wegmans was still Wegmans. The mall was still boring, right? Like this life didn't change around us. We thought it would. But our circumstance, our, our, our one event didn't change everything else around us, and so we got back into this norm. We kind of naturally drifted into that place that all teenagers do. But it's not just teenagers. Adults do it too. Our natural tendency is a tendency for personal gain, right? Um, So, we can lean on him in those hard moments and we will experience supernatural results. I recently had the privilege of baptizing two young men. One, his name is Asher, and the other is Sawyer. But I took Asher out to lunch a couple weeks before I baptized him. And so I'm just gonna share a little bit about that story because I think it applies to every person in this room today. Asher is nine years old. Asher is awesome. And um, so we've been getting together once a month or every couple of weeks and just kinda of talking through stuff. And, um, and he said he was ready to get baptized. So we went out to lunch and he said something to the effect of, this is not a direct quote, but he said something like, I know that Jesus has forgiven me for all the times I have been mean or I have done wrong. And I know he will in the future too. And I said, you're absolutely right. But my encouragement to him, and then I texted it to his mom later so she could hold him accountable to it, was that in those hard moments, when before you're mean or you do wrong or you sin, in those hard moments, invite Jesus in then and let him rescue you from the sin. You don't have to commit the sin and then ask for forgiveness. In the hard moments, Invite him in and you will experience a supernatural, a, a supernatural result. Something you can't naturally do on your own. There are times through willpower you might be able to walk away from a hard thing. Times though. Times. Not all the time. But with Jesus Christ on your side, you can invite him in every time and his love never fails. And he will rescue you and pull you from that. So, my encouragement to him is my encouragement to you. When you are facing that trial call on his name and he will swoop in and give you supernatural grace that you don't possess on your own. That is what it means to live from grace not gain. Alright, two more places and then we'll land this puppy and we'll worship our way out of it. If you'll go over to 1 Corinthians 12 I'll give you some, some practical stuff on relating to those in church with you. You understand that's part of being in a gospel community, right? You're regularly face-to-face with God's quirky kids and given opportunities to show grace. Um, That's part of what this is. I mean, there's plenty of opportunities to find and take offense when you're going um, to invite him in and to be perfected and to choose grace. All right, 1 Corinthians 12, let me read this to you. Verse one, what I want to talk about now is the various ways God's spirit gets worked into our lives. This is complex and often misunderstood, but I want you to be informed and knowledgeable. Remember how you were when you didn't know God, led from one phony God to another, never knowing what you were doing, just doing it because everybody else did it? It is different in this life. God wants us to use our intelligence to seek to understand as best as we can. All right. If you look over at verse 1, it says right at the top that God's Spirit works in various ways. I want to talk to you now about the various ways God's Spirit gets worked into our lives. But then verse 2, it says that this is complex and misunderstood, but I want you to be informed and knowledgeable. So he's saying it is possible to use your intelligence, use our intelligence, to try to see and understand, to live from that position of grace, not that position of gain. When God moves among his church, some of what you see might look foreign. Acts 5, many God signs were present among the people. Some of it probably looked pretty foreign, really foreign to them, right? Um, And that's fine. Whether you grew up in a church, or this is your first week here, or wherever you fall on the spectrum, um, there's probably going to be stuff that happens inside the church that maybe is complex or uh, misunderstood or just you don't get it. Totally fine. I work here. There's stuff I don't get. All right. That's just part of it. Like it, it, it's this is a pretty deep book. There's a lot that happens in here. Okay. Um, and so my experience is when we. When we fight that, when we fight that the Holy Spirit moves in various ways, we're just putting him in a box that we can understand, comprehend, slide across the table, here, deal with this. This is what I think. Um, but Paul tells us right here in, verse, in um, chapter 12, if you'll go down to like verses 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, he talks about the various ways that the Spirit moves. He talks about wise counsel, clear understanding, healing of the sick, Miracles, distinguishing of spirits, speaking in tongues, interpreting those that speak in tongues. I'm not even going to try to explain all that. I'll let Corey and Ben do it in the weeks to come, right? But but my point is that this stuff is not made up. Paul addresses it for a reason. He wouldn't call it out in his book if it didn't happen. And if there wasn't something, maybe it'll look complex and misunderstood. Maybe it will be hard for us to grasp but we can use our intelligence to try and we can seek to understand as best as we can. That is living from a position of grace, not gain. Giving grace to those who maybe understand it more than you. Uh, Grace to those who maybe think they understand it more than you. Maybe they do, maybe they don't we got to crack this thing open and find out. But giving grace. Or giving grace to those that don't understand it as well as you. And not cramming it down someone's throat and putting it in a box and making them deal with it. And what are you going to do with, you know, it's grace. Grace is what has to exist inside a healthy gospel community. And the only way it can is John 15, abiding in him. He will give us supernatural levels of that grace. Depending on mood i might argue with you that this is like your duty okay i know arguing and grace and that's probably not going to go awesome together but like i believe it is your duty as a christian to give grace like so much grace to those that do understand don't understand are brand new are growing in it think they understand right Um, I think it is so, so important that we just give so much grace. Because I don't know how many times, I probably could have looked it up, Paul says there's a mystery to this thing, right? There's a, it is, you can't, you know, you can't naturalize the supernatural. I say that a lot because that's what I think happens so often is that we try to take something we can't understand with our natural minds and shrink it down, something supernatural, shrink it down to something natural we can understand. Some of it, that's where faith comes in. Some of it, you just have to have faith and, it, and realize it's bigger than you. It's bigger than you can understand. But you can seek and you can try and you can grow and you can abide deeper, but it's always just going to be one or two or three steps ahead because God is so big and there's so much that's happening. Um, you know, abiding doesn't work like, okay, God, I've abided to this point that I'm comfortable with. I'll take it from here. I don't want to abide any further because things could get edgy and I don't like edgy, right? That's not how it works. That's not how it works in your marriage or in any of your relationships. If it does happen to in any of your relationships, marriage or otherwise, that's the day that relationship starts to go backwards. The day that you stop abiding further in each other, stop when you stop getting to know each other better, okay? Um, we need understanding, as it says in, in chapter 12, we need to seek to understand as best we can. But if you look at the very beginning of chapter 13, we also need to be go so much deeper with grace and love while we do it. Uh, ch- verse 1 says, if I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, but I don't love, I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. Or yours might say, I'm nothing but a clanging cymbal or a gong. And if Devin wanted to come up and beat on a cymbal for five minutes, we would all leave, right? Because it's not a pleasant sound by itself, all right? So it is so important that maybe you have grown in understanding and maybe you can speak with human eloquence to unpack it. But if you're doing it without grace and without love, you're totally missing it, all right? So um, that is, that's what I'll give you from chapter 13. Um, Pastor Ben told me um, when he first started this church, when he first laid down his business and answered the call to start this church, God told him, be gentle with my church. I believe that is what, that is like what it means to live from a position of grace, not gain. We all need to be gentle with this church. This church is not this building. I'm not saying don't spill your coffee on the carpet. I'm saying that we need to be gentle with the people in the pew next to you. We need to be gentle with Maybe the thing that we believe so strongly, but maybe it's a secondary or a tertiary issue. You know, We can argue the finer points of theology, and we can argue all of that stuff. We can not argue, but we can discuss it. We can look into it. We can go down it. But the main thing is the Great Commission. The main thing is that we go out and teach the nations and make disciples, and we baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. The main thing is Isaiah 61, that he came to heal the brokenhearted, and set the captives free. And so that is, we, you know, Pastor Ben, well, my, last week we had the opportunity to do a service uh, in Climber for a church and kind of give an update on Conduit. And that was his, that's what he, that was his point. His point was that we keep the main thing, the main thing here. All that other stuff is great. I'm not downplaying it at all. Doctrine, theology, it's all in there. Um, but some of that's a wedge, some of that is the devil just trying to just get, if he can just find that little crack where things are different, he can use that. That's, that's enough for him, and he can drive things apart. And that's not, that's not what we're about. We're about unity. So um, go over to Ephesians 3. This is our last passage, and we will wrap this message up. Um, Pastor Ben and I haven't um, really seen each other in about a month. We've had a couple staff meetings that we were both at, Um, And then we did get coffee like two or three weeks ago. Um, But then past that, I mean, he was in Redding, California. He's on vacation now. Up until Valentine's Day, I was going to Buffalo all the time to see Charlie. Um, So it's just really been crazy. Uh, But what I love, we did that service last week in Climber. He preached at Conduit North. And then as soon as he got done, he got in his car and he drove all the way to Climber. And we did this service. And really, we had only corresponded through text on what we were going to attack that night, what we were going to plan to do and his closing verse is my closing verse today and this i already had this as my closing verse so it just was so affirming to me because life might be busy and life might be crazy but it just reminded me that like we are submitted to the same holy spirit we are doing this thing together we are on the same page and it was just really encouraging so ephesians 3 if you let me turn there verse 8 from prison to the church in Ephesus. And he says, So here I am, I'm preaching and writing about things that are way over my head. This is Paul. He wrote half of the New Testament, and they're way over his head. So that just proves my last point, okay? Um, If they're over his head, some of it's got to be over our head, I would think. Um, Things that are way over my head, the inexhaustible riches and generosity of Christ, my task... Is to bring out in the open and make plain what God, who created all this in the first place, has been doing in secret and behind the scenes all along. Through followers of Jesus like yourselves gathered in churches, this extraordinary plan of God is becoming known and talked about even among the angels. See, you right now are sitting in the vintage church. The church is God's plan, The vintage church. That's who's in this room right now. It is still moving. The same church, the same power that rose Jesus from the grave is what planted that vintage church, and it is still in motion today. No one has lived 2,000 years except for Christ, right? And he's been able to keep it in motion and moving, and it will continue to move when we are gone. Um, All this is proceeding along lines planned all along by God and then executed in Christ Jesus. When we trust in Him, we're free to say whatever needs to be said. Bold to go wherever we need to go. So don't let my present trouble, again, He's in prison, tr- my present trouble on your behalf get you down. Be proud. And then verse 14, He says, My response is to get down on my knees before the Father, this magnificent Father who parcels out all heaven and earth. I ask Him to strengthen you by His Spirit. Not a brute strength, but a glorious inner strength. I would say a strength that comes from abiding in him. That Christ will live in you as you open the door and invite him in. And I ask him that with both feet planted firmly on love, you'll be able to take in with all the followers of Jesus, with his church, the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. Reach out and experience the breadth. Test its length. Plumb the depths. Rise to the heights. Live full lives. Full in the fullness of God. The key is that our feet are planted firmly on love. Again, that is how we live from a position of grace, not a position of... ...are planted firmly on love. We realize that that when that is the case, we are able to take in with all the followers of Jesus, with his church, the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. We can reach out Experience the breath. Test the length. Plumb the depths. Rise to the heights. Live full lives full in the fullness of God. This is how we let go of personal gain and our personal bent and we come back to the basics, okay? Colossians says to be mature, okay? To realize that it's not about your level of academic understanding of this book. It's about the basics, it's about what it means for the newest person who walked in the room and needs to know Isaiah 61 is true over their life, right, just like it's true over your life. Anyone can take this and turn it into a textbook. It happens all the time. It's been happening for thousands of years, but that is not the call on our lives. Our call is to live from grace, and then we will experience supernatural results from abiding in Him. Okay? Um, So we're going to close today with the same song that we opened with. The other night, I had the opportunity to lead worship Friday night, Erie, for 50 kids, 46 kids, something like that. And um, they're all going to Nicaragua on a missions trip. Okay? And so we're worshiping. We worship for like an hour. And my friend is a missionary to a public university in Pennsylvania, and at this public school, they have this, it's pretty much a church for college kids, and they have a couple hundred people that come, but 50 of them said, yes, I wanna to go to Nicaragua. And then they raised the funds to do it. And they're going over spring break, so the tickets cost more because of price gouging and all that fun stuff, right? But they're going, and so we're worshiping the other And as I'm singing this song, there is power in the name of Jesus to break every chain, break every chain and we just kind of stepped back and we weren't singing and we were just playing for a minute. And I realized, like, I started speaking and praying over these kids, Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61, he has come to heal the brokenhearted and to set the captives free. And I told them, you need to know that beyond the shadow of a doubt before you go to Nicaragua and try to share that with people you may never see again. Right? Because when you know that, you can then do and live the Great Commission which is go and teach all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. That is how, that is what is talked about in Galatians 5. This is all stuff that I told these 50 college kids. That is what's talked about in Galatians 5 when it says that he did not, uh, he did not set you free to serve yourself but to in love serve one another. And so I don't say all this to point to me. What I do say is that our takeaway today is John 15. It is that we all have a responsibility and a. I don't don't hate that word, we have an ability to respond by abiding in Him. And when we do that, we will supernaturally live by grace all the time. Grace over gain, okay? And so, my point is, as I, I spoke this over these kids, I realized all of those verses came from my time abiding in Him. That was where that came from. I'm trying to point to me, but in your life, it might not be leading worship, but whatever it is, um, I could tell stories of texts that I've got and calls that I've got, emergency situations, and it's this, abiding in him, that gives me any ammunition, okay? And it's the only thing that will give you any ammunition to handle it and handle it well, all right? So that is my prayer over you. The song we're gonna close with, and I want it to be celebratory. I want this to be, Uh, worship and praise to him for what he's done, it says we're reaching out to welcome you God fill this place again with your song, flood our thoughts with wonder and awe and give us a greater glimpse of you our never changing God, that is 1 Corinthians 12, give us a greater glimpse of a never changing God in 1 Corinthians 12 a deeper and intelligent understanding of things that are often complex and misunderstood okay? Um, All we want and all we need is found in you. Jesus, every victory is found in you. That's Matthew 23. That's Ephesians 3. That's abiding in him. That is how we know victory. Uh, So open wide our hearts to yours. Every fear bow down to your love that we would see like never before and give us a greater glimpse of you, a never-changing God. In your presence there is freedom, and in your presence we are made whole. Ephesians 1 says that his purpose is that we would be made whole and holy. Galatians 5 says that we would know freedom, okay? So these songs, the Word is in and throughout them. So my encouragement is that you would abide in the Word, that you would abide in Him, and then you'll start to see it everywhere in your life, and it'll pop up, okay? If you need prayer, this goes without saying, from now until the end of time, if you need prayer, come up and pray. But if you need prayer at 9 a.m., get here early and we'll pray. Like, it's not an end-of-service-only thing. Like, we love to pray with people. James 1 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, ask, and the Father who loves to give it will give it to you, not begrudgingly, abundantly, okay? So that is our prayer. Stand and we'll